uh, awesome. Yeah, it's all good. Hey, uh, Mark, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. I know we're both quite busy. You probably slightly more than me. But um, for those who don't know, Mark, would you mind introducing yourself, what you currently do, and then we'll get into it? Certainly. Thanks for having me on, Geet. Uh, my name is Mark Derno. I'm the managing partner at Rockstar AgriFood, which is an accelerator VC empowering um, food tech and agri-tech founders to drive some positive transformation in our food supply systems. Uh, and full disclosure, I'm a mentor at uh, at uh, Rockstar AgriFood. I've actually yeah. been, a, been a mentor at Rockstar way back in the day. Like, I don't know, <laughs> it feels like a decade ago. Um, so it's good to be back, uh, you know, sort of version 2.0, so to speak. Um, um, Mark, would you mind introducing like me as well, sort of to your background a bit? So where, where are you from originally? I can guess, but I'll let you, I'll let you tell me. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then what was the journey kind of leading up to sort of, you know, kind of pre-Rockstar? What are the, what are the formative years of Mark's life? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Broad, broad sweeps of my life. So I'm I'm originally from the northeast of Scotland and uh, a place called Aberdeenshire, and grew up farming there on our family farm, which is about 350 hectares, mixed production. So I grew up with livestock. Uh, we had chickens. We had uh, arable production. But it was a it was a what, know, is what is that? What is that? Arable. What is that? Arable is the production of crops. So, for example, okay. barley. We produce barley for the, both the malting industry for whiskey, but also for for feed, uh, for inputs for for, for livestock. Uh, oilseed, rape, wheat. Um, we also we now do rye for the energy industry. So that says something strange about how we use land now as well. <laughs> for anyway, side topic. We can we can go on the side path and come back to it. Yeah. But, so yeah. what is what is the rye for energy? Can we just talk about that for a second? Yeah. Okay. So the the background is I grew up on this farm, and on that farm, when I was a, a young boy growing up, we had like fifth. Any any given time of year, we'd have between fifteen and thirty different products that we're producing. So I'd have like we had a dairy of about hundred cattle. We had beef cattle um, of a herd of about uh, any time between sixty and hundred cows. We had um, uh, some some vegetables like turnips. We had all sorts of stuff. And there was like any given time, there were between five and seven people working on the farm. Now, fast forward 30 years to today, and the farms basically got 1.5 full-time equivalent employees uh, and were producing three or four main staples, which would be barley, both malting and, and, and feed barley, oilseed rape, wheat, and then last year we started with rye, which is uh, basically used as a, as a biomass input for anaerobic digestion ah. and for the in, for the energy industry. And I was just making a flippant, rather flippant, side comment on the fact that, you know, it's just strange to see how that land has, that land use has changed so dramatically in my lifetime. And, and the industry, the farming industry, the food industry has changed so dramatically in my short, relatively short lifetime. And, uh, so, yeah. yeah. It's a very important point because actually I'm very interested in that. We've talked about it before and we'll probably get into it later here. Um, once people know your expertise <laughs> a bit more. Um, but I think I'm, I'm trying to have someone from the Land Institute in Kansas on uh, on the podcast as well because I'm really interested in sort of regenerative, regenerative farming mm -hmm. and sort of the transformation of kind of, you know, monocrop to what it was and... And 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 is does that sort of multi-crop uh, regenerative sort of farming? I'm these I'm clearly out of my depth here, but does this kind of 
make for a better planet in the future, right? Like, do we have a better opportunity to create some very interesting local synergies? I'm also going to have a, a friend. Uh, actually, she's my neighbor. She's a PhD in food systems, uh, lives uh, a couple of floors above me in, in Copenhagen, um, to talk about sort of, you know, food security and food systems as well, because I think this is such an important integral part of our lives. But, you know, we almost don't know anything about it. <laughs> Most people yeah. have no idea where... They buy their food from and what kind of farm it's grown on. Of course, it's changing more and more. But and many of the companies that uh, come through Rockstar are, are trying to also have impact in this space. Um, no, so it's very interesting for me. So that's why the tangent, right? Uh, and I, and yeah. I want to get into it as much as we can. But getting okay. back to you, um, uh, you grew up in a very rural town, rural area. It sounds like, right? Yeah. And farm and, and then village. what happened after that? Yeah, farm village. Yeah, well, I, I kind of there was a segue moment because when I was about uh, eleven years old or so, my my parents they split, and my mum is a New Zealander, so I'm half Kiwi. So she moved back to New Zealand, which meant that twice a year I was going between this kind of village uh, in the northeast of Scotland, and then two times a year I was travelling over to Auckland in New Zealand. So I had this really weird uh, split between uh, a kind of very kind of quite traditional farming upbringing in in Scotland and then my mum was uh, quite a dogged entrepreneur herself she she set up a series of different companies that were had varying varying degrees of success some of them went quite well uh, and so I just had those two exposure points and that led me to not really have any clue about what direction to go in so I <laughs> when I finished school I decided not to go into farming or uh, an, an, an entrepreneur and startups were not even on the radar entrepreneurship was not really something I considered um, so I just did what my guidance teacher told me to do and I went and studied law and uh, and then went on to do my law honours and uh, I studied that in Glasgow University University of Glasgow and then actually qualified as a as a, a lawyer in Scotland practicing domestic law in my 20s so that's pretty crazy I, I had no idea you were a lawyer that's pretty crazy that's amazing. yeah 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 I used to used to do uh, criminal law defense so uh, in Glasgow, that's an, uh, a rather that, colorful... That keeps you busy, I imagine. <laughs> you get to meet some pretty colorful people. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been to Glasgow yeah. a couple of times to, to, to watch Billy Connolly, so I'm a big uh, Billy Connolly fan as well. So It's an amazing uh, city. It's, I love the city yeah, it's, and the people. It really reminds me of also Rotterdam because I uh, there are some similarities with Rotterdam kind of as a port, uh, you know, kind of working, working class city. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. You also have a connection with Rotterdam, right? You did your, was it your MBA or something? At the I did an, yeah, I did an executive MBA at Rotterdam executive, School yeah. of Management. Yeah, I did my I did part, of, part, part of my degree there as well. So yeah, there's some similarity. Yeah. Um, so what happened? So you were a lawyer and then how did you get into into the startup, uh, startup ecosystem then? What happened? Yeah. So in my mid-20s, I was practicing law in Glasgow as a defense lawyer, uh, mostly doing defense law, but I was also doing some a little bit of family law and some, some private client stuff uh, at a, a Glasgow law firm. And that law firm, um, they were very good to me, but it was also, they, they were coming under quite a lot of pressure in, in work with various partners had left and so forth. Anyway, there was an opening towards... They, they, like with hindsight, I can look back on this and say they basically needed to recruit some new, new fresh blood into the partnership. Um, but at the time, it was like overwhelming. When I was 25, 26, they gave me a partnership ladder uh, offer. So they were basically like within a 10 year period, I would be able to work my way into the partnership of this law firm. And, and, and I, that's a big deal, right? I guess in yeah, the law world. It, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big. It was. It was a, it was a well-respected law firm that had that they, yeah. they represented the Scottish Police Federation, uh, which is which was pretty pretty cool at that time, and. Um, it was an opportunity for me to, uh, as a young guy, as a as a newly qualified lawyer, to have a lot of direction to my career and to be able to, be able to basically carve out uh, a, um, a pretty clear path. And that scared the shit out of me. Like I, I, I basically in the split second, suddenly my entire life rolled out in front of me and I was going to be a, a criminal lawyer in Glasgow working at this firm for the next like 30 years. And, uh, and the trigger point being that you know, I only did law because my guidance teacher when I was 17 said, oh, well, just do that and it'll open some open some doors for you. So the next day I handed in my notice. I gave them six months notice because I wasn't entirely sure what I was going to do, but I knew it was going to be something to do with, with agriculture and food. And I knew it was also going to be something to do with a more sustainable means of food production because I'd also grown up conventional farming and um, conversations around the dinner table were quite often, uh, you know, heated in a positive way around the benefits of organic food production, the benefits of local food production. You know, I was always advocating that we should brand, locally brand our own beef, for example, so people knew where it came from. That was back in like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So I thought, right, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try organic farming. And I did. And I, uh, I went off and, and started working on some organic farms. And that's ultimately what brought me onto the current path um, that, that I'm on just now. So and and why were you so sure it was going to be in this in 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 this industry how did you how did how were you so sure about that uh, i wasn't really I, I what i was sure about was that i spent most of my time thinking about farming and food and therefore i should spend most of my time doing something about that because that's where my interest was lying it wasn't i wasn't spending my time my free time thinking about the law um mm. so i gave i gave myself 12 months to kind of yeah, experiment, explore a little bit. Try. I thought I was going to learn about organic farming and then go back to the family farm and turn it into an organic farm. That wasn't to be for a couple of reasons. One, I wasn't uh, I wasn't necessarily welcome back to the family farm, uh, because by that point I was like you know in my mid twenties and had kind of missed the the opportunity as a teenager to go into the farm and start carving out that career path and secondly i surprised myself because i was really somewhat disappointed by organic food production and some of the kind of the, the more impractical elements of that uh, i mean i think the the, the value base that organic is is the foundation is really good and the intention is really good but when you're having to ship for example dried pig blood from argentina to fertilize the tomatoes that we were growing in Sweden at the time, there was just a lot of questions I had as to why, why does that constitute an organic tomato compared to like a, a ultra locally produced um, tomato that's only coming from, from soil hummus, etc. Yeah. So You just said something that I didn't expect. <laughs> uh, talk, wait, Pig blood for fertilizer? What's happening? Oh yeah, here? sorry. I keep I keep jumping. I keep I keep sorry sorry Geet. I keep on like kind of there are certain no no, but I love that no no, but I, but yeah. I think I think to me it's really important that I think most people have no idea that pig blood is used as a fertilizer. Like that's yeah, a yeah, really yeah. important he, point here. He, I mean, and I think and I think the whole vegan conversation goes out of the window here. Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, you don't want to if you're having organic tomatoes which is grown using pig blood uh, fertilizer, for example. 
then like it's not really vegan is it right like i mean just as an example i think my point is to um why i wanted to have you on is already proving to be the best decision ever is because i think so much <laughs> of this industry is just unknown to me and unknown to most people right so um this you 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 said that you had some issues you said like you know uh, organic was great organic is great but you had some issues with it and just double click on that for me what yes. what do you see are the issues within organic and what was your kind of personal um yeah take and journey with that the, the, so to give context i was working in sweden uh so the the the, the organic body was krav k-r-a-v and organic certification bodies have quite rightly got certain uh, like parameters and regulations that you need to 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 be able to tick as an organic producer to be to, to be able to use an organic label on your on your food um and that's more where the frustrations for me came from is that some of them just don't make sense it's not the fact that we we're using pig hemoglobin as a fertilizer i think actually utilizing uh, the off products from from livestock production uh, so using pig blood as fertilizer which is really good for the soil by the way because it adds all sorts of nutrients back into the soil it breaks it down nit nitrogen and stuff and then you can grow food from it is a good thing it was the f it was the fact that number one that was probably coming from factory farms so that's not really consistent with the value set of organic production and number two that was being shipped from argentina the product the bags that we were using were like south american so i was like whoa slow down why are we shipping all of this from Argentina from a totally different value set industry than what we're trying to achieve here. And then it was combined with other stuff. I mean, we had two greenhouses side by side, exactly the same growing techniques. One of them was on raised, raised beds and one of them had ground uh, soil access and the raised beds greenhouse, you're not allowed to call that organic, even though it's the same soil because it doesn't have groundwater access. So we could only use organic stickers on the tomatoes from greenhouse a and not b and i just thought what a load of shit this is just like we're just jumping through bureaucratic hoops here and um i was triggered more to look for practical solutions for more circular and more transparent ways of food production because you said yourself Geet, like there's so much unknown to how you produce food so uh, maybe i don't want to rush ahead to it but that's that's ultimately what i was really triggered by with vertical farming and with uh, the idea of having um i got involved in switzerland in a vertical farming company called urban farmers in 2010 which was uh a, we I, i'm confident we were a first mover in europe it can't have been that hard if we weren't <laughs> so it was really difficult to to build this company but the whole idea there was that we would be able to unpack a lot of the mystery and as as a consumer what i was triggered by is the idea that, that people could come on the farm and have the same experience i had as a wee boy growing up in the northeast of Scotland, I could go down to the dairy and I could get the milk out of the bulk tank that had been milked that morning. And I knew where it had come from because I could see the cows and I knew that they eat grass on the hill. And that whole connection made sense to me, but it's very far away for most people. So I was really captivated by the idea that you could make, technically, you can make a fully circular and fully transparent food production systems that would bring uh, all of those fresh nutrients really close to the point of consumption so that there's as, as, as little gap as possible. That was that was my trigger and my learning from the organic food so, uh, experience. So you spent some time in, in the with, with Krav, right, you mentioned? And then, so what what happened after that? And when did when did you start working at this vertical, uh, I forget the name, what was the name of the company? 
urban farmers. The vertical farm, urban yeah, farmers, urban. Okay, urban farmers. Yeah. So after, so I was on, I was doing this organic food production in Sweden, and then I did it in England for a little while too, and then um, I kind of, to be very honest about it, I, I, I had a, I was at a loss as to what I was going to do because my plan was that I was going to do organic food and bring it back to the home farm, and that would be my legacy is to transition our home farm from being conventional agriculture using like pesticides, chemical fertilizers, etc., into being an organic food production farm. But that was no longer on the cards because I was told, well, you're not welcome to come back and do that. Um, so I was. This was end of 2000. When was this? I guess 2010-ish kind of time, um, or 2009, end of 2009. And I kind of freaked and thought, well, I need to go back and do law because I'm not, I don't know what to do here. Um, so I signed up to do uh, my law masters in Maastricht in the Netherlands. I was going to pivot into doing international law. I got an internship position at Eurojust, which was doing cross-border terrorism, anti-terrorism um, on, a, on a kind of judicial cooperation level. And as a stopgap in between kind of finishing off my organic farming uh, and starting with the law masters and the internship, etc., I took a job on a farm in Switzerland just for the winter so that I could go and ski beside doing some, like looking after some cows and stuff. And that's where I met these two guys who were talking about starting this company that was, at the time it wasn't called vertical farming. We were calling it urban farming. And the idea was you'd use aquaponic, which is the combination of fish and vegetables in symbiosis uh, in a closed loop system to produce food. And that changed everything for me. Yeah. So what because there's a couple of things i want to talk about here i've never seen the aquaponic uh setup i guess i don't know what you call it until yeah. i was at amas um uh interviewing matt orlando from amas he was on the podcast last year yeah um and he just said oh it's an aquaponic setup like it's like he's like it like everybody knows what the fuck it is and i was like um so yeah you, have you don't fish. know <laughs> i was like you have fish and you have veggie what's happening he's like oh they grow each other i'm like what the fuck does that mean uh could you tell me, tell us, and tell me uh, what aquaponics uh, aquaponics is, and and how does it actually work? Uh, you know, sort of. Yeah. If you could run us through that. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, without going into because because there's all sorts of different types of aquaponic application you can get, but the basic idea is that you have some level of symbiosis between fish, plants, and bacteria. And what's happening is when you're producing when when fish are are swimming around and eating food and everything else, they're basically, they're producing ammonia. Ammonium is coming out and it's making the water for them pretty toxic. They don't like that. They want that to be broken down and, 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 and taken away. In the wild, that's fine because the tides do that and seaweed basically and all of the other um, organic matter that's growing in the oceans is converting all of that alongside certain types of bacteria like Nitrosomonas and Nitrobacter into less harmful um, outcomes. So basically you go from ammonia into nitrite and then into nitrate. That's the chemical transition that needs to happen. So there you've got your fish and your bacteria. They're kind of working together to make the water kind of safe for the fish. Now, usually that nitrate is just flushed away, but we know plants, especially vegetative plants for like salads, 
anything that's growing green, they really like nitrate. That's what they need to grow. So if you take that nitrate and you give it to the plants, they strip the nitrate out. And what you're left with is water that can then be recirculated back to the fish again. So instead of what we do, normally if you decouple those systems, what you've got is a recirculating aquaculture system where you're having to flush like 90% of the water because it's the nitrate levels and everything else are getting too high for the fish. Or you've got a hydroponic system, which is a water-based production of food, um, like, like vegetables, like tomatoes. Most of the tomatoes you eat are based on hydroponic production. There you're using water. There's a, there is a high degree of uh, reuse of the water in the system, but you're having to add um, nitrates and, and other, uh, um, other nutrients, usually from some sort of chemical basis instead of a natural um, input. So aquaponics is coupling the two together so that you have this symbiosis between the two systems. That's the idea. So fish poop, bacteria cleans that up, makes it prepared for the plants, goes up to the plants, plants take out the nitrates, then the water comes back around to the fish. Wow, amazing, very cool. <laughs> yeah. So this is what uh, the company uh, with we, with the two guys you, you were at, they did this, you guys did this for? Uh, we what applied, what we did was we took the fundamentals of aquaponics and then we t created a dashboard and now you now i'm sick to the back teeth of hearing about dashboards we can talk about that in a bit <laughs> if you like but we, we, we at the time well, we yeah. we created this dashboard that would allow for the operator to be able to um, anticipate the nutrient levels you have to plan about six to eight weeks ahead when you're producing the, f the fish and the vegetables together so you, you could run your operation on this dashboard we also created a brand called UF or Urban Farmers, and we sold our products under that brand in the supermarkets. Um, the idea being that, so we had them in Migros supermarket in Switzerland, and the idea was that the consumer would literally be able to see the, the, the facility, the rooftop greenhouse, because we were, we were producing this food in cities on rooftops. Uh, they could see those facilities and they, yeah, they could, they could have a deeper level of transparency, basically. Awesome. And how, how long were you with the Urban Farmers? Um, first started kind of collaborating in 2010. I officially joined in 2011 and then I left at the end of 2016. So, oh, wow. So you were there for a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was I was employee number one in and then expanded the company out of Switzerland into the Benelux and um, built a, a couple of larger farms uh, on the back of it as well. So, yeah. So... After that experience, right? That's is, is the, do we lead up to Rockstar now? Is Rockstar yeah. after this? Or, or so what happened at Urban Farmers? Seems like you're doing great. Uh, why the change and and why Rockstar? Yeah, well, to be, I mean, there's there's all sorts of like, um, you know, you come up with nice marketing stories as to why there's change happens and stuff. The, the bottom line was in 2016, I had a pretty horrific burnout, um, and. A lot of that was to do with my own working style and the fact that I'm obsessive about what I work on. When I when I see a problem or a challenge, then I get a little bit too fixated on it and put a little bit too many hours into the, the, the day and the week. Um, it triggered a few health complications for me. And at the same time, we also, to be frank about it, we had a lot of disagreements in the in the executive team on strategy. Um, you had two co-founders who wanted to go in totally separate directions with the company. And then you had me as well advocating for something different. And I was a minority shareholder and it hit a certain point and, and I kind of thought, right, I need to start 
planning my route out of this because it's not a healthy environment to be in anymore. And it wasn't, uh, the, the company wasn't going in the direction having the impact that I hoped that we were going to have. So I, as I tend to do, like same with the law, like you give yourself six months of notice basically to, so that everybody knows they're on the same page and they know what's coming so we can all prepare. So I did that. In that time, I'd already started an ex- extracurricular um, company called Edibles, which was similar to Too Good To Go at the time. Um, I was toying with the idea of jumping into a friend's solar panel company as CEO for an intern position. But the one that really triggered me and kind of got me yeah, excited was Rockstart because I got chatting to Rune, who's CEO at Rockstart and and uh, now partner with me on the fund. And they had uh, Rockstar has this um, had this ambition to set up an agri food domain. And for me, that was like a big box stick. I was like, yeah, that's that's what I'm excited about. It's what I'm interested in. But I didn't really believe in the accelerator model. Uh, you know, with urban farmers, we never went through an accelerator. We never we 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 did do collaborative work of course but we didn't we didn't really um we didn't embrace that approach uh because of the fact that for an agri-tech or a food tech startup you need seven to ten years of patient time to be able to grow that business so we had chats around that it became apparent that there was uh, the bones of a strategy in place to try and set up a fund and i said okay that makes a lot of sense you know, you've got all these agri-tech and food tech entrepreneurs out there who need support from the early stage, from the founding of their company. There's not a ready-made uh, network with bags of capital at that time. There wasn't bags of capital going into food tech and, and agri-tech as a theme. You know, you looked at fintech or you looked at web and mobile as a theme, and there were loads of generalist VCs and loads of generalist accelerators, and nothing really focused on agri-tech and food tech. So I thought, okay, if I can use my experience of having built an agri-tech company and and how difficult that was, bring together that ecosystem, that network, and those experiences that I have, and open that up to other founders alongside a fund that allows us to structurally support those companies for like seven years, that's gonna make a hell of a lot more impact and difference than if I set off on my own and try and build a competitor to too good to go, which would, which I'm really glad I didn't now because Meta's just doing an amazing job there and I, I'm probably far surpassing what I would have achieved. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so yeah, so yeah, I jumped, a... I, I jumped at the chance to, uh, to try and build something with Rockstar. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think, um, it's important to mention that Rockstar was not like this when I knew about it back in the day, right? It was an accelerator. Yeah. They had a space, I think it's still the same space, and, and the canals, uh, was it Heidegracht or Kaisergracht, one of those Gracht? Yeah, we moved, we moved offices a few times, but that, that was the first oh, okay. place. Yeah, and, and, I, and I remember sort of, uh, it was Oscar and a couple other sort of OGs that were around then, and it was, you know, kind of early days of tech, so it was very different, right? And then um, I sort of uh, moved to Copenhagen, and, and I'm like, oh, Rockstar's coming here with agri-food? I'm like, what? Okay, and there's a fund? I'm like, okay, this sounds really interesting. And I think and I think that's... I haven't heard of many other setups like Rockstar. There are, of course, some others that have come in the more general sense, right? Like, I mean, like Y Combinator does uh, famously invests, you know, in, in a lot of regular, quote-unquote, tech companies. They're, of course, very diverse as well. Uh, you also have a few other sort of, you know, shows in town, so to speak, but... Rockstart has a unique. I mean, they you, you, tell me about Rockstart's strategy because I think 
uh, in general and then agri-food particularly like let's talk about what rockstar has evolved into now and and what you helped with uh, helped them set up uh, helped set up in the food space and agri-food space yeah yeah so so as you quite rightly say like originally it was this web and mobile accelerator program which in 2010 11 when rockstar got started was like one of the first in in europe to be doing that and uh, they they kind of catalyzed quite a lot of the ecosystem especially in amsterdam to uh, around the, that that tech theme so it was really good and really needed for for uh, for entrepreneurs at that phase but the speed of ev evolution of the space is incredible it's really quick so you fast forward a couple of years and suddenly there's loads of accelerators government ones and corporate ones and uh, individuals who are setting them up and everything else so um and rockstar had we, we what i think has been really cool with rockstar is that we're always a couple years ahead of where things are going so it started with the web and mobile accelerator in 2010-11 and then by 2013 it already established that you needed to have a much clearer thesis to galvanize the ecosystem so they started doubling down on domain themes like health energy um, AI was a theme that they they, they really dug into uh, that we really dug into back before before I joined in 2015-16 so by the time I came on board it was rockstar was already getting known to be a domain focused accelerator program so it made sense with the agri-food component but it was also apparent that as an accelerator what ha what kind of support do you lend after the program you know our program's six months long which is one of the longer programs out there what happens after the six months well it becomes kind of like a passion project that you need to keep on trying to add value but you can't do it in a structured way so having the fund on the back of it and and the timing was great because when i came on board we were already starting to show the first track record from our 2012 13 uh, portfolio companies so th those those micro funds those accelerator funds performed really really well um so we could go to the investors and say to them listen it's time for us to make uh, to kind of make the next step, which is to provide um, follow-on capital to the, the companies that we invest in. That will give us the structure and, and, and support to be able to, to continue to add value after the acceleration phase. Yeah, so that's what we do. Nice, and, and, and so what has happened in the last uh, couple of years now? Uh, when, did, when did you join and when did it uh, sort of crystallize into you being uh where you are today the managing is managing uh, partner is that what it's called Your managing position? partner yeah yeah so i yeah. joined in 2017 and uh then that was the beginning of 2017 we were still hashing out a strategy for what the fund would look like i joined under a like so i don't usually advertise this point but seeing as you know I, I know you keep <laughs> so I joined under a different role so I joined as the it was like ah uh, what's the name of the role it was like startup in uh, startup funding manager or something my job was to go out and I'd, I'd done successful fundraising in the past with urban farmers so my job was to go out and try and get money from investors to make up make more accelerator programs but I knew in behind the scenes I knew that this agri-food domain was coming and i also knew that there was an ambition to try and build out a kind of ventures fund so i sort of went into the job and within six weeks i'd already put down a, a kind of a strategy suggestion on what 
how I might better spend my time. <laughs> so in, I think in month two, I pivoted from being this general startup funding person to being the agri-tech and food tech program director. I think so, I think there's a lesson here, right? If you want a job within a company, just create it so that you know, they kind of have to give it to you because you're like, okay, well, this is the guy that's doing it, yeah. so might as well just let him run with it. Well, that was the yeah. awesome thing. That is the awesome thing at Rockstar is that if you can show that you're going to add value to the, the ecosystem and to the entrepreneurs that we're working with, then, then we'll create it. That's the idea. So I did that, kind of created the role a bit for myself and then started working with Rune uh, quite seriously on what the fund would look like um, in kind of mid-2017. And then we started properly fundraising uh, beginning of 2018. And then we closed up. The first and close on the fund was middle of July, uh, July 2019. Yeah. Okay. And uh, why, why Copenhagen? Why not just stay in Amsterdam? So my experience was and a network was mostly Dutch based. Um, it was predominantly the Netherlands because that's where we'd expanded out urban farmers. And obviously the Netherlands is really good when it comes to precision agriculture, to, uh, to, to any, anything connected to the greenhouse. You've got Wageningen University there. So you've got a lot of really impressive IP and, and skill sets that are coming out. But on a gastronomic side, it's not as strong in the Netherlands. So we were taking a look uh, around. Hell no. <laughs> hell no. <laughs> it's getting better. Let me, to be honest, it, it's getting better, but it's not as good as Copenhagen. But go on, sorry. Yeah, yeah exactly. So we, when we were designing what the, the ecosystem should look like, what we wanted to pull together, we wanted to make sure that we took, uh, we, we, we basically wanted to stand out as having a really strong uh, footprint in uh, not just in one location, so European-wide, so it could be a bit more international. Uh, Denmark at the time, and still does, stand out uh, with two things. One is the gastro scene is awesome. I mean, you mentioned Matt Orlando. I mean, what they do at Amas is, is really good, but obviously Noma and the whole new Nordic cuisine triggered so many talented uh, chefs, sommelier, restaurants, exciting stuff happening in that space. Then you've got um, the, the, the general tech community in Copenhagen is really strong. I mean, you've got some some super cool companies that have spun out of the Danish ecosystem, like Just Eat, for example. In more recent terms, we've had Pecan. We've got some really cool stories, and that always galvanizes a lot of um, support and enthusiasm for new founders coming into the tech scene. Uh, and then, so we thought, right, couple that with the, the Danish ecosystem, the Dutch ecosystem. So then we've got Benelux and the Nordics. That's quite an impressive footprint and two really strong ecosystems, both from the food side, because it complements each other. We, we wanted this, um, we, we had this ambition that we would be able to have a very holistic view on the food system as a whole. So it goes from soil to the gut. So on the food side, it complements one another. On the tech side, because you've got from an academic perspective, Wageningen and, and Aarhus University, but you've also got a lot of really impressive uh, tech companies that have come out. And then finally, box tick, Number three was from the corporate side, you've got some really impressive corporate partners that we could bring in to as potential customer routes for the portfolio companies. Um, so that, that's what triggered us. And then we, we, I mean, a separate part to this story as well is that we had some really fruitful conversations with Vexfund and um, the Danish Growth Fund who, who really, they, they, they co-created a lot of the structure with us along the, route, the road as well. So that was, that was a, a massive help when we were setting things up too. So. Yeah, well, and and I know what Vexfunden is, but for for the for the sake of the public, uh, what is Vexfunden? Because it's a very unique setup, right? Would you mind talking a bit about what they are? And yes. I know I'm going to have someone from there on, 
maybe you can recommend somebody I should have on, but uh, I'd love to love to learn what Wexfunnel is. Thanks. Sure. They are the sovereign wealth fund of Denmark. So they basically uh, oversee quite a lot of the taxpayers' investment money. And over the years, they've been super innovative about how they do that, uh, investing in both public and private markets. Um, at the moment, they've it's really smart, in my opinion, they've centralized a lot of the funding that comes in through VEX funding. So the, the, the tax money that's going to be invested goes through VEX funding. It's then 60% of that is going towards kind of soft and, uh, and development loans and so forth. Uh, and then 40% of that goes to more hard um, uh, capital allocations like fund to fund investments like us and their whole point is to try and catalyze opportunities for for denmark and uh, and, sh and make sure that the those danish tax kroners are well spent and multiply at the same time as creating a, a really strong and robust um, uh, infrastructure for denmark and food and agriculture is really quite central to their strategy too so yes yeah awesome thanks uh thanks for that um Talking about the other end of the other end of the spectrum, so to speak, what are the kind of startups that have applied um, and have been part of the program in Rockstart? Um, and then the next question would be sort of who should apply. So could you just talk a bit about the kind of batches you've had so far, and you know what are the kind of startups that are that you're seeing? Sure. So since um, I'll start with the thesis of how we look at it. So as I, as I mentioned, we want to we look at the food system holistically. So soil to gut, because we believe of the importance of having an, an integrated and connected food supply system, as opposed to a fragmented food supply chain, which is heavily inefficient. Um, since 2019, we've invested in 20 startups to zero. And we do that. Busy. Good... We've been busy, man. Yeah, we <laughs> last year we were um, we were in the top four most active agri foods investments uh, v VCs amazing. in the world, which is amazing, really cool. amazing. Like, super happy. And of course, I, mean, I can see it from my end, but but I can only imagine you. It must be really crazy with everything else that happens, right? So, congrats on that. That's great. Yeah, it just makes it really hard to find a couple hours to do the podcast. So sorry for that. <laughs> like all good, all good. We we made it happen. We made it happen. <laughs> get squeezed um yeah so we, we've got 20 startups uh, i'm really proud of all of those founders that have joined in to, to rockstar agri-food and uh the this kind of the, the themes that they have in common is like we've got three main themes the first challenge is around optimization of processes and practices so um if you look at how we uh how, how do we obtain more granular data to make better decisions, for example, in the food industry, that could be a theme. And that comes back into things like regenerative agriculture. So you have lots of sub, sub themes under these three challenges. So there's process and practice optimization, then there's stopping food loss and food waste, which is like a massive challenge, you know, to, to, to come up with solutions that can utilize all that wasted value. And the last one is looking at it from a uh, challenge is looking at it from a consumer's perspective. So how do you create tools to allow the consumer to be fully quantified. So you can quantify where your food comes from, how it was produced, what's the nutrient density, does it impact your own diets, dietary requirements, etc. Um, the next layer of assessment that we look at is, 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 is the technology that they're using and the team that's putting it together. So are they are they utilizing emerging technologies, new technologies, new business models? And are those those founders people who can actually 
hold a vision for what the future is going to look like. And if the answer to those questions is yes, 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 then then we go towards uh, an investment discussion. So. But is it is it after the program or sort of do they all go through a pro, the, the program, uh, the kind of accelerator program? Because yeah. it's quite unique because it's very different. And also let's talk about COVID because uh, that's changed it up even more uh, yeah. f- for the way Rockstar has run. Um, I miss uh, the networking events and hanging out with all you guys. But, uh, you know, but I get it. So when, it, I mean, because just, just because, just to preface this a bit, right? Because is it a guarantee once they get accepted into the program you're going to invest? How does it work? Can you run through that the specifics of that? Because that's also quite unique, I feel, with, with Rockstar. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So one thing that is really healthy is that we have... Although the fund and the accelerator program are intrinsically linked, so we're one organization that, that executes on all those things, when it comes to making the investment decision, we're decoupled. So I am the fund manager and I am looking at a startup and I'm saying, right, can our accelerator program add value to this company? Because if it can't, then I'm just throwing money down the drain. It's not, you know, my, my job is to is to also make returns for our investors. So it's a really healthy discussion that we have internally where we're like, right, well, how exactly are we going to help these entrepreneurs to, um, to, to be able to scale their company in a shorter period of time and, and add all of that value? So that's the first conversation that happens. If we agree that we are, we do have the right network and the right mentors like yourself, Geet, to, to be able to, to help the companies, um, then we will make an initial, the initial investment is just before we go into the accelerator. So we're, once once we make that first investment, they're part of the portfolio. We will co-invest up to fifty percent in the next round. So uh, within reason, and just it takes, to, uh, yeah, and just yeah. to understand, sort of the first investment, is there like a cap on it? Is it like uh, I don't know, whatever YC does, hundred twenty-five? You know, the, there's many people have different numbers. What is the? Is there like a specific amount you put in? Yeah, it's standard hundred thousand euros. We do hundred thousand okay. euros. Sixty-five thousand euros is the. Is the current cost for the program so that's a half year program and that's why we have to be really sure okay that 65,000k like 65,000 euros is going to be well spent and create value for the company in turn creating value for the fund um which is where the healthy conversation comes in after that i mean we've got over i can't say the final close amount yet because the press release hasn't gone out yet but i can say that we've surpassed our target of 20 million um so after this is scoop geet <laughs> after um the initial investment of the hundred thousand euros we can co-invest up to 50 percent of the next round and we can and continue think, continue to co-invest thereafter also yeah, and but but you don't lead right like that's no. one of the important parts here yeah i no, think we, yeah go on no go ahead yeah no, no, my question was because I think it's more about, I think in the sort of uh, world of startups, right, there's there's this sort of misconception that, okay, once you're, you've got some investment, you're like a success. There's no guarantees of anything, right? And I think you know this better than most. Um, you know, you can sort of be doing some great stuff, but there's no guarantee of success. And I think what I like about what Rockstar does also with the follow-on investment is that you don't lead. And I think that's a very important it's a small distinction, but it's yeah. a big one. I think because it does show that the entrepreneur has to, entrepreneurs have to go out there themselves and kind of secure a lead investor, uh, because you know them, they know you. It'd be very easy to lead, but I think uh, you don't do that. And why? Why have you decided not to lead? A multitude of reasons. You touched on some of them 
just now. So first of, first and foremost, um, it's written on the wall. When we ever get back into the office, I'll see it again, but you can see it on our website in the time being. Uh, founder focused at all times. Now, it's really hard to be founder focused when you're negotiating a term sheet um, for a follow on round, because how do you put the founder's best interests at heart? You can do it, but invariably you're going to come up with situations where you go, well, I need to represent my LPs and it would actually be better if we if we brought in this clause in a different way, etc. So we by by going in as a co-investor and, and allowing the founder to go out and find a lead number one that they're happy with, that that's a, a lead investor that they feel is somebody they want to bring onto the cap table. Number two, that they then enter into a, a negotiation with that lead investor. We can be a supporting role as opposed to going in and actually negotiating like at the forefront of the discussion. That's a big reason for it, to be honest. The second is that we are not soft funding. So that means that the market needs to decide on valuations on the quality of the technology that's coming through. We don't want to manipulate our portfolio into looking as though it's really good on paper when actually the market is going to be dictating something else. So we safeguard ourselves by being a co-investor and having another lead investor come in because we're not setting crazy terms to be able to say, oh yeah, we had a 10x uptick in the last six months with this one company. Well, how do you defend that? It becomes a whole auditing question that, that we really would rather not have to answer in the first place because then the market's deciding. So those are the main reasons. I would also say as a last one, like just to be humble and realistic about it, it's not our expertise to set valuations to, to, to be a VC. We grew up as an accelerator. We grew up with the, the kind of early stage founder focus at heart, and we want to keep that DNA close to what we do. And on that note, you also attract and bring together a pretty good network of venture capitalists from all over the world, right? Can you talk a little bit about that ecosystem and, and, and how has that evolved as well? Yeah. With, with the Rockstar focus, I mean. Yeah, yeah so, so of course, you know, um, we don't, we're not completely hands-off. We want to help our portfolio companies to find strong syndication partners that can tie together around where we co-invest and we use that capital that's available. Uh, and in order to do that, of course, we, we also pull in both industry specific VCs, so that, that those are those are specialists that understand the space, but also some some general like this is the great thing about having Rockstart's wider network is that I can also call on some of the generalist VCs who are interested to come in and start learning about agri tech and food tech and, and taking a role, or maybe they've got a specialism in like SaaS products, so we can bring them into the syndication. And that's a big part of what we do too. So during the program where we're always, uh, you mentioned at Geet, um, we'd normally have in person meetups, which are really cool. and. I miss them too. Now we do it all online, but the idea is to try and open up that network and um, maybe, sorry, I'll take two steps back on the answer because we've got the general ecosystem, but we also, when we set out to fundraise, we did so with a very clear um, strategy in mind that we wanted to uh, have all phases of the capital pathway covered in our LP base in the fund. So that means that in the fund, we've got angel investors who can put down 50,000 euro tickets, but we've just, we've, we've also got family offices, we've got corporate VCs in there, we've got venture capitalists, we've got uh, growth investors and institutional investors who can do anything up to 50 or 100 million euro tickets. And the idea is that we create that capital pathway early on for these founders so that they know who to go to in four or five years time when they need to raise a bigger round of investment. 
it's quite often the, the stumbling block for a lot of companies is that they just don't know who to call once they move yeah. into that new phase. Yeah. And just to be clear, that's in the Rockstart Fund as your LPs, you have this variety of, of capital. Is that what yes. you mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We've got and then you twi- also have the ecosystem you bring to you bring together sort of investor days and things like that you organize where the startups can pitch to investors, right? You do you do both. We do both. Yeah, we do both. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think that's one of the reasons why it's quite a unique setup. And I think uh, you know, this is kind of uh, you, you're not saying this. I am. I think most venture capitalists, you know, should uh, stop doing what they're doing, because they're they're wasting uh, they're wasting a lot of people's times by just copy pasting strategies, right? Like, uh, and I think, and I think it's great. It's the industry. It's capitalism. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I've worked mm-hmm. with a few venture capitalists. I've 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 you know uh, been on the on the bad side of some. I've been on the good side of some, right? I think as a, as a kind of quote-unquote entrepreneur for the last 15 years uh, building startups uh, having a variety of success and a variety of failure you learn um which venture capitalists are in it for the right reasons and and Mm. who have really thought through why they're here and it's very rare that those people those kinds of vcs and investors um you know kind of do the wrong things right it doesn't mean that they're going to be successful or fail no one's ever going to hit 100 uh, every time but it's it's about the intention and the and the long-term thinking and how much you've put into it versus i'm going to copy so-and-so strategy and because i have a good network because i worked in a bank for x amount of years and mm-hmm. i have access to a lot of capital i'm going to set up a fund and put up a website and you know bring in a bunch of uh, patagonia vests and kind of you know go to work <laughs> yeah. uh, that is and, and th- a lot of that exists and 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 you know unfortunately for entrepreneurs a lot of entrepreneurs uh, and for their lps of these funds right a lot of entrepreneurs end up um end up with these people and 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 I mean, because I don't take money from venture capitalists, uh, and I haven't done that for many years. I don't give a shit. I'll just say it as I see it. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, there is there is an opportunity for the right kind of money, the right kind of venture capitalists, to really make a killing uh, by sort of just focusing and by having a strategy which is, you know, intrinsically their own, right? And I think and I think LPs, good LPs, see that, but not all of them do, right? And I think. Uh, why why I'm I'm proud to be a mentor at Rockstar and proud to sort of help and support in any way that I can is because I do see the thinking that you and and Hona and the team have put into it uh and it, and it I can stand by that you know it doesn't feel like uh we're doing this to look cool or this is you know it's actually to solve real problems which are very hard support entrepreneurs who who are who are you know going through a tough time and give them a little bit of support that's it because they're solving big issues and i think why i we've talked about this right why i'm also very interested in this in, in this industry now is that i miss meeting entrepreneurs like that in in sort of the regular tech world right mm-hmm. it's just like okay we're going to build an app that's going to be massive it's going to have x million downloads or x million uh, arr mrr i'm like yeah yeah what are you fucking solving like what are you <laughs> actually doing yeah. right uh, and there's a place for that. The world is big enough. The markets are big enough. You can do a lot. I just find it way more inspiring, way more exciting, and way more uh, value add to the world and to you know the bottom line when you can sort of do things like this, right? And I think it's just that's why I'm excited to sort of just you know be part of it and um, you know 
yeah there's a lot I, of uh, there's a lot of uh opportunity here anyway um thanks man what take i think that as a huge no, take that as a huge compliment so thank you That's you're, nice you're most welcome i think you guys are doing a great job and i know it hasn't been easy and i know it's an uphill battle sort of doing something new and that's why also i relate to sort of sort of the entrepreneurial journey a lot right with with the, the sort of this is a very new industry right now yeah. let's let's pivot to the industry a bit so much has happened in agri-food tech in the last i don't know half a decade just half a decade right five years yeah. maybe even the last three four years yeah. run me through what has happened high level and where do you see the big trends currently uh, in the industry yes Gosh, yeah, it's really like ramped up speed in the last. And, and the you last can and you can choose. Months. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but you can choose which angle you want to pick. I just want the I want the unfiltered uh, Mark Durner perspective. Right? That's the whole idea. I don't care which angle you go with, but just what what is on top of mind for you. Yeah, sure. So, having been an entrepreneur in the space, and the, like as I said earlier, the thing that really triggered me with rockstar and get involved and create these pathways for entrepreneurs was the fact that back in even 2014-15 not many investors or market partners really gave a shit about what we were doing like we would go we would rock up to uh if we got a meeting um we would rock up and talk about being an agri-tech startup focused on at the time called urban farming but vertical farming and there was no vocabulary there was no even things like everybody knows what alternative proteins are now reverse 24 months ago and that was only just starting to be an emerging topic a lot of the corporate partners that we had weren't really taking it that seriously it's only the trigger of beyond meat going and doing that amazing ipo that they did that suddenly everybody sat up and gone holy cow this is like this is actually going somewhere and there is a there's a transition to happen here so i think that experience of like you know seeing it where it was not really I, I just feel, I think, let me phrase it differently. It's becoming like, because of the alternative proteins buzz that's coming through, it's almost like, and, and also delivery, last mile delivery was a really hard nut to crack, which a lot of companies are doing a really good job of now. And you start to see like e-grocery starting to be, the, the, a year ago it was about whether or not you could do local fulfillment. Today it's about whether you can do um, uh, fulfillment in under one hour in cities like London and places like that. So the, the, this, this, the ambitions got higher, the attractiveness or the, or the speed of, um, of adoption is, is also got higher, but a lot of it also has to do with some of these darlings of, and, and, uh, of, of the food industry world, like Beyond Meat, like Impossible Foods, who are really carving out a, a route for many more entrepreneurs to come in. It also leaves a lot of space for bullshit though. Like there's a lot of that out yeah. there. Um, not to be negative, but there's a lot no, of no. stuff that's just buzz, basically, uh, that wasn't there two years ago. Yeah. And I don't, and, and you, you don't have to answer this, uh, Mark, if this is out of your uh, purview. But mm. do you actually think that the stuff that Beyond Meat and and Impossible Foods makes is actually healthy? Is it actually something which, uh, you know, because I think I've seen, and 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 you're not a you're not a scientist or researcher, so no. I don't expect yeah. uh, an answer uh, on the details of it. But we touched on this earlier, right? Like I feel maybe it's a nostalgic <laughs> fucking, you know, old guy feeling now. I feel old. I have a kid now. So it's kind of yeah. getting and getting. I'm not in my teens or 20s anymore. Um, but sort of, you know, you, I want to get milk, you know, from the farmer. I want to I wanna have food that's grown locally. And I want to, you know, eat, eat meat in a sustainable, smart way. Um, yeah. 
what do you think about the, that that sort of this kind of inc- i mean they're yeah. financially very successful but what about the product what about the sort of impact in that sense so as you quite rightly pointed out i'm no scientist i'm uh, i'm not able to give a strong opinion that i can back up myself on the nutritional content and so forth it's a lot of processed goods in there that's what i would say um so and and i don't think we should be too hard on them for that because what they're doing is carving out a whole new segment so those products will get better over time they will and no, absolutely and the and the yeah. overall suite of alternative protein options will also improve over time as you see things like fungi as a basis coming through pea proteins already very exciting and well accepted uh, then we've got cell-based cultures of course uh, that's that's expensive but i think it's going to take a similar route that solar energy took which is that you need to yeah. do the whole thing with zero subsidy and just make and just bring price parity over time um so that that whole space it's evolving and will get better but i think the point that you raised that's really interesting is the connection of culture to food because you mentioned yeah. like you you want to you personally you you think it's important to go to get the milk and know the farmer and know where it's come from and you know you understand the quality it's this artisanal factor you cannot decouple food and culture they are one they are one thing and and i think you'll have one or two generations of shifting cultures like you see this this rise in veganism for gen x and also millennials well you know try and talk to the the the, the boomer generation about veganism and uh, sorry to generalize many of them will respond to you as a snowflake or one of these other yeah. ridiculous media driven buzzwords cultural connection to food and beha- uh, it cannot be underestimated because that is the behavioral driver for people as to what they eat and what they believe in uh, and and what they think is is healthy for them and over time that will change and when we're on mars like i think we just gen- briefly touched on this a few weeks ago when we're all living on mars like you know a couple hundred years from now is it going to be weird to have a cell like a, a bioreactor producing cell-based meats on another planet no it's not it's going to be like culturally accepted and I, I couldn't agree more, but I, I do think that culture is going to put up a bit of a fight before it goes away, right? I think, uh, I think there's, yeah. and I think, and I think to me personally, I think it's awesome if you can have, uh, you know, if you need to, like a quick fix and you need to, you know, like it's fuel, quote unquote, like have your soil and have whatever. It's great that a market exists for products like this, right? Uh, and, and it's only going to get better and uh, more nutritious and more healthy. But I also you know, a part of me also feels I, I, I did I looked at some uh, stuff online, uh, you know, in general, because I'm very interested in this space around sort of, you know, the positive impact, overall positive impact on sort of soil health, as well as, uh, you know, sort of nutrition value, as well as, yeah. you know, sort of uh, greenhouse gases, all of those things with regenerative agriculture. Right. And and that if we could figure out a way to actually do it. Uh, you know, it would be amazing for everybody in in every yeah. sense of the world. Now, again, I don't know the specifics. I'm not a. Uh, I want to have the experts on to talk about what's actually happening and what are the positives and negatives. But to me, I feel, you know, this is why startups and and the sort of industry are so awesome. You can have it all. You know, mm. you can have the opportunity to have, you know, locally grown, um, locally grown products, produce, everything. Uh, as well as sort of have you know the ultra ultra modern scientific cutting edge molecular biology in your food you can have both and i think it's you know we're gonna go through revolutions to get there i imagine but i think uh, you know it's it's exciting times i think what what you know that there's so much happening in this space and that's why it's it's super exciting to be involved a little bit yeah 
I mean, the, the exciting thing with food is that it's, it, first of all, we all need it. Like it's something you can yeah. relate to because you have it at least three times a day if you're lucky. Um, it's it's also it, by the, the basis of what, of what we eat and how we produce it, it's forecasting what kind of planet, we, what kind of world do we want to live on in the future? What level of biodiversity do you want to have around you? Do you want to just be eating meat from a bioreactor and, and using it as a source of fuel and going out and what's the driver then? Or do you want to have a situation where our soils are healthy and we've got an abundance of microbacteria working in there to help with carbon sequestration and you've got more than four livestock varieties in Europe that kind of make up 95% of the of the, the livestock biomass, you know, it's like, it, there's only a few animals that actually exist on the planet at, at large. So that's the exciting thing is like, what role will technology play there to carve out the kind of future that we want to have for ourselves uh, and, and be able to still sustainably feed everyone and move away. And, and just a point on that as well is like, what these food tech and agri tech founders are doing is that they're giving us the opportunity to move away from the idea of sustainability, which is status quo, which let's face it is not very good, and move towards regeneration, which is actually starting to pull things into, in, into a, a, a place where we want it to be collectively, which is good. It's, it's, just, it's just always going to be difficult. And that's what I like about the space is that it's more than just having a more efficient app to, you know, to, to, to do whatever, manage your finances, is actually impacting the world around us as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think I'll just make one sort of anecdote I remember. I think it was uh, um, who used to work at Rockstar and Hannah who kind of, uh, you know, got me involved. And, and there was an event uh, when we were having those <laughs> where, you know, I said, okay, this seems not that interesting to me, to be honest. I was like, ah, okay, this feels a bit weird you know, tech, agriculture, what the hell is going on here, right? I was yeah. like, okay, what am I doing in this room? I'm a tech guy, you know, I love tech startups. Yeah. Um, and I think it was it was either, um, I forget the name of the company right now. Oh God, uh, I feel so embarrassed. They just raised um, a lot of money of, what the fuck? One uh, of the, our companies? The chip on a lab. Uh, oh, yeah, Nord yeah, one of your companies. Nordetect. Nordetech, exactly. Fuck. I'm yeah. so sorry, guys. <laughs> the founders are Indians. They're gonna hate me. <laughs> but uh, uh, Nordetech, um, I think. Uh, sorry, Keaton. They sorry, Palak. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Palak. Sorry, Keaton. Um, they they presented and and I was like, what the fuck? This is amazing. I was just, like, I got it right away. And I said, okay, this is this is different. This is kind of you know showcasing something very new, very innovative you know, leapfrogging crazy amounts of, of uh, you know, doing some ama amazing stuff like which you don't see in as big of an impact in the regular tech world, right? You see yeah. incremental innovation. You're seeing it with sort of Bitcoin and with AI, but, uh, you know, in general, you don't see it. And I think that sort of to me was like the aha moment, you know, and, and then it kept going and there were satellite imagery startups. You have so many amazing startups and they're all very different, right? And not to say that they don't have issues, they all do, every startup does, right? Um, but I think the payoff and the opportunity if things go well is way beyond, you know, money, is way beyond sort of, uh, making the planet, uh, making sorry, making a lot of profit. You know, it's it's so much more than that. You change yeah. entire industries, you change entire systems, and I think that's what for me 
going back to sort of why I became interested in tech was that a small group group of people can have a massive impact on the world in a positive way, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of groups of people uh, w- that have negative impact in massive ways, right? Uh, and I think technology and startups is one of the few tested, proven methods of saying, go in there with nothing. You come up with an idea. You come up with a method. You come up with something new. You create it. Companies like yourselves support entrepreneurs along the way. And then, you know, if you're lucky and you work hard enough for a decade or more, you can have an impact on an industry. That's super hard <laughs> for other yeah. companies, right? And 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 it's gonna come from people like Palak, people Palak and 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 Keenan and and so all the other entrepreneurs that you have, who are gonna sort of you know risk a lot of stuff, try stuff, fail, you know, learn, and then improve something. That's the only way it gets done. It doesn't get done. No offense, but by companies like Carlsberg or these big companies, they can be part. They'll be part of the solution, but they're not gonna come up with it, right? And I think that's the exciting. Uh, exciting part of what rockstar is doing um the last um question and then we'll wrap is that entrepreneurs that want to reach out to rockstar what are the kind of companies that should reach out to rockstar that you're looking for when is the next opportunity could you run run, could you give a psa for entrepreneurs that are listening yes yeah sure um so the first thing i want to say is that we don't think we know everything that's out there so if there are agri-tech and food if there are founders out there who think that they can move the needle on the transition to a more sustainable regenerative food system they should just apply because we're under no illusion that we think that we know everything that's out there but a few of the themes that are really exciting for us just now that we're looking into quite deeply um sustainable packaging so packaging solutions that's going to be massive because within the food industry there's so much plastic used for for dis- disposable packaging and from a systems approach as well it's problematic because what do you do with like you know plastics that are either they're they're toxic or they're they're uh, compromised in some way so you can't actually upcycle them so lots of questions around sustainable food packaging um alternative proteins we already touched upon it specifically we like companies who have, are, are really laser focused on one aspect of, of alternative proteins. So they want to produce like the best fat alternative, or they want to produce the best like membrane component for, for cell based, you know, so they've, they've got really a laser focus. That's, that's something that's interesting. Um, softwares to enable automation and robotics in food production and processing is interesting so you know those companies we've got a few of them in the portfolio already like microps for example that are using vision tech to to do pest and disease recognition and and prevention for production but if we can extend that out to um to to automation of the production that's quite exciting regenerative ag we already touched upon i mean we want to see how we can go beyond just saying right it's only yield that's important we want to say well there's the soil underneath is actually harvesting something too called co2 um so looking at solutions for that and one more i'll say uh, smart logistics we're still we're still not entirely clever about how we do logistics in the food industry so if there's companies out there that are using some form of smart logistics for uh, for food distribution or collection then that's super interesting awesome um i will link everything you sent oh gone no no no. sorry timeline you you asked for that too yeah yeah. timeline making a next next bunch of investments are going to be in june july of this year june july 2021 so we're actually 
if you if you put a link to the website, you can click on it. Um, there's a, a 15 question multiple choice application that, that gets you in, in front of us. We'll take a look at it. And if there's a potential that we can help, then we'll reach out and take it from there. So now is the time, definitely. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we could talk for a long time, Mark. I had to sort yes. of stop some questions <laughs> because we're running out of time now. Uh, but let's uh, let's hopefully do this again and hopefully in person and, and talk a bit more about some big picture stuff as well. And I, and and any any rock start um, startup that wants to be on the show is is invited. Uh, that's doing good some something special. Reach out, and I'd love to have you guys on. Uh, I think uh, you know whatever little small platform I have, I want to showcase it to entrepreneurs that are doing a lot of great stuff so yeah open invitation uh, reach out to me or ask mark he knows how to reach out to me so um but hey awesome mark thank you so much for your time and uh yeah see you around thank you Take man care. and uh see you at the mentor meetup next week i guess so yeah exactly see you then see you next week see ya <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ciao mark thanks Keith. see you soon bye